Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of Unstoppable Justice. We have Sean, who's helping co-host today, and Hashandra. Did I say that right? You did. Yes. With us, she is the co-owner of The Pink Group. She's an author and owner of Don't Overthink Me, LLC. What a great name. And she also runs a nonprofit. She's got a plethora of things on her resume, which I'm sure we'll get all into. But she also talks and practices with others how a safe place is a safe place to release. And we want to know all about that. Thank you so much for being in here with us today. I truly appreciate it. Thank you all for having me. Absolutely. So let's go from the beginning. You went through a domestic violence situation. Can you kind of tell us about it? I did. Um, just to start, I got married for all of the wrong reasons, <laughs> but I learned through just living that um, it was just the life experience. And in that situation, uh, domestic violence was one of the reasons that we did get a divorce. But through that situation, I also learned not to point the finger at the other person, but to point the finger at myself, to self-evaluate, and just by understanding that process, I've been able to assist others with uh, dealing with domestic violence and how to self-correct as well. Were there children involved in this marriage? There was. Uh, I had a daughter before getting married, and then we had a daughter within the marriage. So did this either one of the children get uh, any kind of the domestic violence themselves, or did they see it? It was seen um, by both of my girls because a lot of times it wasn't uh, hidden. We would right. argue in front of them. Uh, I tried to protect them as much as possible. But um, of course, they they seen it. They heard it. As I got out of it, one thing as a parent and one thing that I like to advise parents as well is just getting rid of the guilt and start in parenting over again. Um, understanding that it happened, understanding the consequences that happened because of domestic violence, but also understanding that life has to go on. So we have to continue to set those boundaries between the past and the present. Right. How are your girls today? They're great. My yeah. oldest is actually a college student. She's a sophomore in college. And my youngest is an author as well. And she's an entertainer. She's actually preparing to go to an expo for uh, entertainment this summer. So they are healthy. We are processing and um, I encourage them just to talk to me if they're having issues. And one thing that I've learned with with my girls is I might not be the person or the voice that they need to hear. So I encourage them if you need to speak to somebody else and you don't want to talk to mama, that's OK, because egos are not in play. We have to just put those egos to the side so that growth and development can come within ourselves as well within our children and others. Wow, that's like the most powerful <laughs> statement for sure. Uh, I, I love that. I love the drop in the ego in in that process. And I, I, I find that, uh, you know, I'm not a parent, but I can assume that that would be a very challenging thing for parents uh, to do uh, is to drop that ego and, and feel like that they can surrender that uh, that kind of control in terms of, you know, allowing others to to play that influence uh, over their over their kid, you know, just kind of in that self awareness piece of being like, you know, maybe I'm not the right person to uh, to talk to about certain things, and so that's that's phenomenal. How is that? How have you found that to uh, you know kind of impact your in, impact your kids and your relationship with them? Is that 
I think that it helps them because I help other people, you know, with sitting down and with listening to some of my clients because I'm a certified life coach. So with life coaching and life consulting, I realized that the people who are the closest to them in their lives, they're not able to have certain conversations with. So who am I to think that just the people who are the closest to me have to have those conversations with me as well? And even with me, there was times coming up that I didn't want to speak to my parents or I didn't want to speak to my best friend. I didn't because they knew different aspects of my life. But if I talked to a stranger or I talked to somebody I was more comfortable with, there was more growth that took place. So for me, the growth is just more important than it's, oh, I did it. I, you know, I helped my children to get over this. It doesn't matter who helps them. It matters that they get over it and that they move forward. And that's the same thing with me. It doesn't matter who helped me. If the information comes from my worst enemy, which I don't think I have any, but if the information came from my worst enemy and it helped me to grow, you have to make sure that you're comfortable enough with yourself, that your mind is in a place to receive that information so that you can grow. And I think that's a lot of times why survivors um, struggle is because of where the information comes from or where the help might come from. Hmm. No, I think that's like one of the, I think, you know, that's one of the more powerful messages that I've heard is, is really about keeping that growth mindset. And it sounds like you've really honed that skill in terms of, you know, really living that truth of, you know, kind of how does that growth mindset manifest itself into your life in the most powerful ways. And I think that, you know, exposing your relationship with your kids to that and being able to, you know, step aside when need to is so such a powerful message. I think in so many ways, you know, our society needs to hear that. Uh, it, it, you know, so many parents, I feel like, stand in the way of their kids' growth um, because they want to be the ones that are the main influence because they feel that just because they are a parent and hold that role and wear that hat, that, you know, that their voice is what is the most important. And yet, uh, it seems that you you may have the evidence to suggest otherwise, and 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 uh, and not only that, but also are are kind of modeling a solution for that, and that's really that's that's powerful because I know that in the world of like which you know Victoria and I are such a part of, um, you know we're we're huge advocates for you know kind of sexual education and uh, you know this kind of body of work, uh, and in the opposition to sexual education is this idea that you know, the, that the parents are the ones that are supposed to be the ones teaching all of that. And as you had kind of mentioned that there are some topics that you may not want to as a, as a child to be able to talk with your parents about. And so it, it's really, I think there's a, there's a kind of a pivotal intersection here to understand that there, there may be areas that, you know, we as a society have to get together and really try to figure out you know, how do we move forward and have these conversations, these complex educational kind of curriculums um, in a way that's safe for the kids, as well as, you know, that the parents are either involved or can, you know, kind of play kind of a stepped back role, not that they're completely out of that conversation by any means, but just, uh, you know, allow for that space to exist where, you know, the parent may not be the best one to have those conversations because really what you said, as you addressed, it's it's more important that your kids grow, uh, more important that they get those lessons and that they learn and, you know, become, you know, better and better more than it is that the information came from the parents. So I think that's that's such a powerful message. 
So can you talk about when you said you went through domestic violence, there's so many different areas that that covers. Can you tell us a little bit more in detail about what it was that you had to unfortunately endure? So for me, it was every aspect. It was physical. Um, it was verbal. It was control as far as finances. Finance. Mm -hmm. And um, that's something that I had to learn the hard way because uh, it was it was a shocker to most of my friends and family when I came out about some of the things that were going on in my marriage because most people look at me and they consider me be, to be a strong woman, you know, just the, the labels and they just never knew it was happening. And I would always fight back. <laughs> so that kind of, um, with my fight back, it kind of caused us to fight even more because they would hit, I would hit. You hit me, I'm gonna hit you back. And then one day I was just like, you know what? I'm not gonna do this anymore. Um, I'm not gonna argue with you. I'm not gonna fuss with you. I'm just not like, no, because I'm better than this. And I had to go down and really understand what was the core of my issue. And the core of my issue was pride. It was admitting that I failed at a marriage because marriage and you know longevity was important to me. So I had to restructure my mind there, but just the, the physical, the verbal, the what I'm not. And then we have people who have uh, smaller minds or maybe intimidated by our creativity or my situation, just kind of intimidated about who I was as an individual, what I brought to the table and those type things. So uh, that just brought a little bit of intimidation with words. And then with financial, I was a housewife at the time and mm -hmm. I was building my own brand, building my own business. So I had to rely on my spouse for financial support in most cases. And so when I left the marriage, I actually left with $37 in my bank account and I left everything. Only thing I took was my children and our clothes. And I moved into my mother's laundry room, one bedroom apartment. My children lived with in my mom's room for six months and I turned her laundry room into my room. And we did that for six months until I got back on my feet and um, got established. Good for you. Good for wow. you. I want you to know, Ashandra, that you didn't fail at your marriage, that it wasn't you who failed it, that you need to like understand that that's not your fault. You know, if there is no reason a human being should put their hands on another human in an unwarranted manner. And when that happens, then then it's not your fault. Um, you know, Sean and I have done some interviews that would just shock you to say the least. And one of which was someone who, and uh, I know Sean will know immediately who I'm talking about, who was, um, he was sexually assaulted and then he went after the person who did it. And now he advocates for like pedophilia and sexual assault. Like he advocates for them. And that's a that's like a really big shock. It was a shock, you know, to, to us. But the the difference is is that you didn't fail your marriage. Um, it's about your mindset and the fact that you don't ask for that. You don't raise your hand and say, "Hey, why don't you come make me your playground of violence?" Nobody asks for that. So it's only a failed marriage, Ashandra, if you stay. Mm -hmm. That's when it becomes a failed marriage because your children look at you. And your significant other as the ones that are supposed to teach us how to be in the next phase of life and their role models. 
And if they see that behavior, then they're going to say, and in your case, you have girls, that it's okay for a man to be that way to them, that it's okay that they're treated that way, that it's okay to talk to others that way. And therefore, because you got out, it's not a failed marriage. And in order, really, to be honest, it's a successful marriage because you successfully got out, you successfully saved your kids, and look at you now, you're thriving. So please, please, please don't think that you had a failed marriage because it's only a failed marriage if you stay. Does that make sense? It definitely makes sense. That's why the, the pride just had to be dropped. So once I got past that mindset, it really, really helped just to move forward, just getting over the pride. And um, just to go back to something that she said, it was more important for me, for me with my girls, for them to understand um, that strong doesn't always mean staying. That right. it can leave. That is the strength. The strength <laughs> yes. is you leaving. Yes. And then more importantly, for them to have those good examples of what marriage looks like. And right. just because it happened to me doesn't mean that it has to happen to you. So we're very verbal about that. Right. What happened? Now, didn't you kind of go into the wrong direction at first when you first started to leave the situation? I'm sorry, if you could just elaborate just a little bit. Um, what what happened to you? What changes were made in you and how you lived once you started to go through this? So once I actually said, okay, I'm done. I'm out. I'm going to move in with my mom. I'm going to just restart my life. I got this $37, but we're going to work at it. Um, I actually found out that I had a cancer. I was having issues within my health, my cholesterol levels, my skin. I went up to about 200 pounds and just everything physically was going down because of the stress. I was dealing with vertigo that wasn't identified at the time. So I had to take a whole step back and just like reevaluate my whole health situation, reevaluate my mind, my body, and most importantly, my spirit. So um, I started to change my eating habits. I'm now a vegetarian. Uh, I actually started doing research about how to heal the body naturally of cancer. So I got, that was actually called early. Haven't had any issues with that. Um, no more cholesterol issues. And literally as far as vertigo, I went about some natural remedies as well called uh, prolotherapy. So all of those things were just identified and handled, but I had to take that step back and realize that I needed that therapy. I needed that time. I needed that mindset change in order to be a, a better individual, not just for myself, but for my family as well. Well, that's fantastic that you were able to to really get a handle on, on, on a lot of those like physical health things, because I know that plays such a huge toll into the, the, the mental and emotional and all the stress that was, you know, kind of must have been there as you were transitioning out of that uh, kind of a, a toxic, abusive kind of situation. So I, I, I definitely commend you for that. That's that's incredible, um, especially while living in a in a laundry room. That had to have been a, a pretty a tough, uh, tough transitional moment for sure. Um, I I just have a question about the uh, the idea and the mindset of like the the fine line that exists between this kind of conditioning that we receive around people being in relationships and like fighting kind of being normalized like this idea that we're going to have conflict in relationship and yet you know that 
there seems to be obvious lines that you're, you don't cross, right? Putting hands on somebody seems to be the, the obvious line. And yet when, when it does kind of occur or it gets close to that or all of the preceding stuff, more the big, intense, volatile, emotional stuff that seems to get like normalized in the idea that, well, when you live with somebody, you have a significant other, you, you spend all this time in a relationship. Like there's this concept that just gets normalized. Like, so how do you how do you speak to like really understanding where that line is and how like how we don't like got to speed and crash over that line but how do we you know kind of navigate that beforehand And it all comes down to self love and understanding what love is and identifying what self love looks like to you And that's something that I really had to do I had to ask myself Hassan do you really love yourself you know, and if you love yourself, then why are you allowing this to happen? And so what do we need to do in order for your definition of self-love to actually manifest into your actions of how you live your daily life? So I started writing and I started using the songs of, or um, writing songs and utilizing the lyrics to help me push through my process. So when I felt like I wasn't portraying self-love or I wasn't acting on the self-love that I knew that I was capable of doing, I would go back to those writings just to kind of measure out my process. So when it comes to just normalizing what's not normal, we have to we have to identify what we actually consider to be normal or what we actually want. So, you know, that measuring stick is what I call it. And so when I go back and I look at those things that I was allowing to happen, I'm like, this person doesn't even equal up to what I have defined a man or a mate to be. So why am I here? And what's making me stay here? So then again, going in and internalizing that self-love and then having to do what I need to do in order to, um, to live out self-love. So I always tell people, check yourself, measure your self-love. Are you really living up to it? And first of all, do you know what love is? How do you yeah. define love? So defining is, is a lot of the process too, because a lot of times we don't understand the word. So it's hard to live out a word that we don't even understand. Right. Cause I mean, in so many ways, like we get modeled like these kind of versions of love, right. We get, we get all the content from like, you know, television and Hollywood movies and all these types of things about what love is. And uh, you know, and it, it kind of stops at the, happily ever after ending right it seems like the story stops like once you get married even though most of us know uh you know who have been through that that that's really where the story begins uh and that's where like the you know some of the some of the work like you know most of the work begins once that kind of commitment has been made and all of a sudden now we're flying blind with no real you know education around what it means to be in a long-term relationship cohabitating you know, living in this space, you're wearing multiple hats, you were once friends, now you're lovers, but you're also roommates, you know, there's business, you know, there's financial stresses and kids and parenting and all that stuff. And it's like navigating all of that, while also trying to work on your emotional intelligence and how to navigate a relationship. It's just challenging, because there's not a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of information out there, especially for young people, that's really accessible uh, that people, you know, when you're young, like you really even want to pay attention to, cause you don't even, you're, you're, you're fixated on the like 
storybook ending. You're, 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 you're wanting that, like the infatuation feelings and you, you're focused on that. You're focused on the physical stuff, right? You're, you know, kind of in this like intimate and sexual relationship. Chemistry is what you're really focused on. But yet, you know, I think for a lot of people who've been in like long-term relationships that may have turned south and gone sour, I know for speaking from my own experience, uh, I was in a couple of relationships that it got normalized that we were fighting all the time. Like it got normalized in that concept of, oh, and it, especially in my first marriage, it was like, it was, there was this normalization on both of our sides. It was like, oh, this is what husband and wives do. They, they, they fight. And yet there was something inside of me that was like, this is not how I want to live. This is so stressful. You know, it's like the whole outside world is stressful enough. But when I come home, I need a, like, I need a partner that I can fight against the world with and not feel like everything is fighting me. A safe and, place. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, I, and, yeah. and so, you know, I think that that's one of the things that, I, you know, when we're putting together all this content, we're trying to like really stress about the emotional intelligence side, the the realization of like how to be in a relationship, how to talk to each other in a nonviolent way. It's not that mm -hmm. conflict won't come up. It's really how do we navigate conflict in a healthy way when it comes up so that we can actually, you know, work together as a team against this challenge versus, you know, against this communication issue maybe or whatever a shared reality conflict may come up, but like, how do we handle those specific moments so that they don't just have to go into the space of just like yelling and screaming at each other? Because once we get emotions out of control, it kind of becomes a, you know, sometimes it can be a very challenge to like pull ourselves back from that. Response is everything. And then just understanding yourself again, because we cannot uh, make anybody do anything. We can't make a baby stop crying. You, you can't, you can't control the other person. The only person you can control is yourself. So once you get yourself under control and you sit in a place of just comfort and knowing, like you said, I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to do this. I know what I want my peace to look like. Once you do all that and you know that you're not in that situation, you have to be strong enough to actually leave or to address the issue. If the other person really wants to be with you, they're going to address their issues as well. I have these affirmations on my wall. And one of them says, when, when I'm defining my mate, one of them says, individually living our lives together. That is something that I want with my soulmate. I want to be me. I want them to be them. But I want us to be able to communicate enough for us to sit down and be us too, because that's important to me. And I've learned from my, my past marriage that I know what I don't want, you know? So now that I know what I don't want, let me define what I want. So I've written down those things. And again, it goes back to the measuring stick. We have to define what we want and who we are. And once we define those two things, business relationships, personal relationships, and private relationships, we're going to have something to measure it to. And we're not measuring it to the world standards. We're measuring it to our own definition. And another thing I like to do is grace myself to know, if six months from now, there's something that I've written down that I don't want anymore, I have the power to take that off. It's okay. I grace myself. I talk to myself. I listen to myself. And I grace myself every day. Those are my tools just to keep my mind together. So in those situations, I just tell people to, you know, understand that response is power and that you can only control yourself. And when you understand the self-control controls your whole world because you create your world, then you're in a whole nother atmosphere of just living. Absolutely. Tell me about Attached. And I have to tell you, Ashandra, I love the follow-up book title, Unattached. Like it's just so 
simple but so catchy it's so cute like i was like that is so so cute you have attached unattached like it's just the best follow-up sorry i just thought the titles were fantastic (laughs) tell us about your books so attached is how i lost my virginity at 16 and the emotional trauma that it caused i feel as teenagers we get spoken to a lot about you know the stds the teen pregnancy but nobody really focused on the emotional part of losing your virginity. And so I like to dig into my own story just to uh, show those emotional traumas. Mm -hmm. So Unattached is actually my 20 year journey of discovering the authentic me in the area of romantic love. So I utilize my love journey to just basically um, talk on different points of my life from spiritual to financial to relationships and just how I unrambled myself to become who I am today. And also to interject that I'm still growing. I'm still developing. I'm still learning. The learning never stops. So that's what those two books are about. Yes. I apologize. I'm eating a mint. I apologize. Tell me about what your emotional um, situation you went through when you lost your virginity at 16. Because you are so right. Nobody talks about that. No one. So no one ever told me that I had to stop playing basketball if I play, if I was a teen parent. So that's one of the things that happened. Oh, I, you got um, pregnant when you lost your virginity. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Now. So, um, and I actually, I lost the baby. Um, I'm my so older sorry. Son. So there was the emotional trauma of death. There was the emotional trauma of uh, church. Uh, I was a youth leader at the time. So I was set down. Um, there was the uh, emotional trauma of family members of the community talking about me. You know, there was all those emotional things that I had to go through at 16. And then after all of those things happened, I still didn't have anything to show for it. I didn't have a baby, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, a year later, I actually got pregnant again with my oldest daughter, who is 19 now. So then I went through the teen mom stage and mm-hmm. you know just dealing with the fact that he was a teen father and so uh I always tell people that being a mom wasn't the, the being a teen mom wasn't the worst thing it was the emotional drama that was the worst thing I'm trying to understand myself while trying to teach someone else who to be who they, they're supposed to be so that mm-hmm. was the biggest thing when I could have been living there's no regrets however I do um I just do have those moments where I kind of, I'm kind of like, what if, what if I would have kept myself? And then I had to get rid of those what if moments. So overcoming all of that as well. Wow. There's power in waiting. (laughs) Yeah. That that, that just seems like a a, a giant emotional clusters where you're feeling so many competing emotions kind of all at once. Uh, Mm -hmm. It does seem like a very challenging thing that I don't think like you're right society does not really address mm-hmm. those things it's like we we stay fixated on the conversation around you know even the conversation around teen pregnancy is just you know you could get STDs or you could end mm-hmm. up pregnant and then that's kind of where it stops it's like mm-hmm. we're not talking about what the the reality of those things are we're not having and addressing the conversations and you know normalizing having these conversations because they are such a uh, potent reality for so many people. It seems like we need to be going into the nuances of what the emotional toll was, um, you know, and what it what it was like from your experience, and you know, helping others 
who may be, you know, in that similar situation or may be able to prevent them from getting into that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, there's so much to that. And I, 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 I just, I, I thank you for coming forward and sharing that. I think it's a really vulnerable place. I know that in yeah. the book that I wrote, you know, I, I share a lot of my own vulnerabilities and like what my, my wife and I went through, uh, in, in her recovery. And so I know that vulnerability is, uh, is sometimes kind of, you know, challenging and scary. And have you, have you kind of, have you had to deal with any of that? I know that you said like, uh, the, the community around you and the disconnection you may have gotten from your church and family and things like that. But once you started to open up and really tell the world about that and really start to express it, um, how have, how has that been received? So it's been received pretty well. Um, honestly, I try to focus on the light. Um, and when I'm writing and I'm expressing my personal views about things, I make sure that I let them know these are my personal views. This is my experience. This is how I viewed it. It's not, you know, being disrespectful to anyone else, but this is what I really had to deal with. And so I wanted to come out and let people know people are really dealing with things because of the comments of others, because of the situations of the past. And they're growing up to be adults still dealing with these childhood and teen issues. So that's why I like Unattached the Final Season because it shows my 20 year journey. It takes you to a, through a journey of me telling my story at 22 to me giving my um, 22 year old self at 32 um, advice. And then at 36, I'm looking back at my advice at 32 and I'm like, wow, this is my growth through that time frame. So I'm pretty sure uh, my book has upset a few people, <laughs> but um, to the people that it mattered, I made sure that I said, hey, I'm writing this book. You're a part of this book. You're in this book. I'm not utilizing your name. I'm protecting our privacy, but I really want to get my story out. So attached was for me. I needed to get that out of me. But unattached, I always say it's for the world because it shows the lessons, it shows the growth, and it's it's universal. There's, I believe that everyone who picks up the book is going to learn something. I don't, it doesn't matter what religion they are, you know, what sex they are, what race they are, what culture they come from. They're going to learn something from that book because it's something that everybody deals with, which is transformation. So it, it's been a very interesting journey with um, just trying to tell my story, be as transparent as possible while still keeping others safe in the process. Chandra, you would really, this is a total resource for you right here is this gentleman. He is amazing. Um, His wife went through a sexual assault and I was so honored to have gotten to know him. And it was that, you know, that chemistry where you just feel like, fast friends, but you you know that it's the real deal. Sean's the real deal. He wrote this book uh, that you see behind him, and it talks about the point of view that nobody talks about, like the, the partner's point of view from somebody who went through something like this. And he is so big on advocating for ending sexual violence and, you know, and sexual violent crimes. And <clears throat> this is the perspective of the partner who finds out the significant other's been violated. And it is such a resource because not only do we hear it from a partner point of view, we hear it from a man's point of view. Mm-hmm. And that is a, such a great resource, you know, for you, what you're doing and, and everything as well. And anything a contagious smile can do, I'm happy to help in any way as well. But Sean is just um, an amazing resource, especially from those two points of view. 
Oh, well, thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. And I, I just want to say that um, I think that offering people that unique perspective, you know, from what it's like to have gone through so much of what you've gone through and your, you know, kind of personal journey is it's so it's so important to share with people. And I just feel like kind of like kindred spirits here with the idea that, you know, in that vulnerability, like leaning into it, really sharing the experiences that that people need to hear, like what you're saying, like your 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 story, so many people can gain so much information from no matter what their life experience is, because it's just so true in transition, right? That that concept of transformation and and the transitional moments in our lives and things. And so I just want to want to say thank you for that. And um, yeah, I think that from the perspective that Victoria was just talking about is one one of the interlaps or the I guess overlaps the intersections that I see between you know kind of your work and what I've done is um, how have you found like in new relationships. How have you found that the 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 lessons that you've learned, but also kind of some of the the traumas that you that you you know sometimes carry, how have they affected the relationships that you've that you found yourself in after that? So after that relationship, um, I just kind of took a break for a while because of course I needed to figure out me for a moment. When I finally start dating again. I noticed uh, there were some things that I still needed to do work on. And I was like, okay, well, in this area, I see that you're still a little clingy, you know? So we need to work on that. So um, I just started identifying more. And then when I would see certain characteristics in people that I used to ignore, I'm like, no, we can't ignore that. We have to address that because if you continue to ignore it, you know where it leads to. So I have been very verbal in dating now. I ask questions off rip, like, listen, do you do this? Is this important to you? Is this not important to you? I have children. How do you feel about children? I'm not capable of having more kids. Is that going to be an issue in the future? Are you a communicator? And they're just like, wow. But I'm like, I need to know this now because there's no point in wasting time if there's, you know, if there's nothing there. And then being comfortable with saying, you're not for me. Because there were times in past relationships where I would know that they was they what they wasn't the person for me, but I would stay there because of just culture or you know just being able or seeing my grandparents in their relationship and how it worked, and I wanted mine to work, and you know just wanted to stay there. It's okay, they'll grow out of it, but it's like now, like no, we're not going to do that. So I had to cut off what I was accustomed to. And just be more verbal now. So I think that's been my strongest suit with dating is knowing what I want and also being verbal about what I want. And also understanding that I need someone who's going to be able to accept me for me and every part of me, my past, my present and what's to come, because I am verbal about my past. So it's being verbal about my past and my interviews and my book. Are those things going to be triggers for you? Are you going to be embarrassed by that? Because if you are, I'm not the person for you. And I'm okay with that because I'm sitting in my okay and I'm living in my okay and I need you to be okay. So if, be, if being with me makes you uncomfortable, then I'm not the person for you. And it's okay. Good for you. Yeah, for real. Like the really acknowledging red flags and the lessons, it just speaks to uh, how your strong growth. Yeah. your growth is. Right, exactly. Like the the, the discernment that you have to to be able to recognize 
red flags, spot them, ask for them, really try and provoke them out as soon as possible so that, you know, uh, they don't get hidden you know, under the surface. And, you know, because it, it really is, I, I found in my own growth, really the, the, the lesson of codependency was one of the big things, mm-hmm. one of the biggest challenges for me overcoming was this concept of like getting into a relationship, spotting those red flags, and then those challenging my codependency habits where it was like, okay, you you know that these red flags are existing. Can you can you walk away? Can you bring up this whole thing? Or are you just going to accept this like we did in the past? And it was like, it was so interesting how like when I left my first marriage and then got into another relationship pretty soon after that, it was like life tested me with all the things I thought I knew. It was like, oh, I had all these epiphanies when I left that marriage. I felt so strong in myself to like get out of a toxic situation. And then the next relationship was like, all right, let's see if you learned. And, you know, and it wasn't until, you know, and then once I learned, it was the next relationship after that when I was like proved to myself, okay, I, I, I really did learn. Then I knew all the right things. Like what you were saying is like, have all the right questions all up front. We had, you know, my wife and I, in our current, we literally sat down and had like a night where we were like 32 questions deep, went deep dive before we even said yes to dating. We like went super deep into all these questions to kind of, cause we both had all these like triggers from our past to like really work on that spot that you were just talking about. It was like, let's have these conversations now so that we're not, so that we're not wasting each other's time so that we're not hurting each other in the future. Like, it's like, let's, let's get it out all on the table right now. And uh, so, yeah, I, I really acknowledge you for doing that, too, because that's something that was a really it it helped me overcome that codependency was to like really kind of stand in my strength, stand in my like you said, stand in my OK, stand in the fact that I'm OK being alone. And so if I if I have to be alone in order to not be in another abusive relationship, that's uh, that's everything. So kudos and in to our um, in our with the nonprofit, we have our monthly meetings. And within the conversation that we had this past Saturday, that was one of the things that we focused on, just learning how to be alone. And I share with them one of the things that I do. I said, sometimes when I'm feeling alone at night, I'll literally just start laughing with myself. And I'll remind myself, you know, this is just a moment. I'm going to appreciate this moment. And when I begin to, or when I'm with my mate, I'm going to remember this moment. If we're having a moment where we're, you know, bickering or whatever, you know, I'm just like, oh, I don't, I don't want them close to me. I'm going to remember these lonely nights now because <laughs> now I have someone beside me and I have the power to start a conversation, to be reasonable, to communicate. Because there were times when I wanted to communicate with somebody and it wasn't there. So appreciating my alone time so that I can appreciate the time with my mate even more. Absolutely. Tell everybody where we can find you, ma'am. So you can find me at Hassandra, H-A-S-H-O-N-D-R-A dot me. So that houses everything that I do and every everything that I am. Well, I want to make sure we also put the links up for your book, if you're okay with that, on your, both of your books. So we can put those out there as well. And I would love for you to come back again if you would lo- like to do that. I would. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you were able to join us today. Yeah, for Thank sure. It's been, a, it's been a pleasure getting to know you for sure. Absolutely. Thank you so much.